Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Oh, it's a bit of a... I feel like I'm talking in a container. <laughs> As I was sitting there and looking around, I noticed that we were slightly small in number. But what I also noticed was that God's presence was mightily upon us this morning, through the worship time especially. And I felt a togetherness, that we're all together, which is good. I feel God is really doing something with us and to us and in us. And I feel that as we go on together, God has great things for us. So let's continue in that vein, that we are one body, one in spirit, and God will guide us on in the way that he wants us to go. Do you believe that? Yes. Yes. Amen. God is a good God, and he's only got good things for us. Okay, today I'm going to continue with where I left off last time, that was two weeks ago. But before I continue, I'd like to ask you a question. Does anyone remember what I spoke about two weeks ago? The Beatitudes. Well done, the Beatitudes. Esther's been doing her homework. Esther has a good memory, thank God. <laughs> Did anyone else remember? Anyway, I'll remind you as we go on. But well done, Esther. Can I have my star, please? Gold stars, gold stars will be given out afterwards. <laughs> okay. The Beatitudes. When I first started preparing two weeks ago, I wasn't quite sure where things were going to lead to. Because if you remember, I started off with the secret things of God. Do you remember that? The secret things that God revealed to his people. And we looked at the kingdom, the mystery of Jesus and the gospel, and the ages to come. And I began with the mystery of the kingdom of God. And it seems that's where God was taking me. And last time we looked at the Beatitudes. Matthew 5. And this week I want to continue with that theme because I feel, believe that God has something to say to us. Because in a sense the Beatitudes are looking at the characteristics of the Kingdom of God. Who we are to be. God is changing us into who he wants us to be. That's why he's called us into the Kingdom. He's called us out of the world into his kingdom so that he might change us, so that he might send us out again because he has a purpose. We're not called into the kingdom to stay there and be comfortable and settle down and relax. God calls us to himself so that he might send us out. 
And his purpose, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, many people would know it as that. His purpose is to teach his disciples how they ought to live, how they ought to be in the kingdom. Because the kingdom is different to the world. Yes? God's kingdom operates in a different way to the world. So in the process of teaching, Jesus is teaching his disciples. And hopefully this morning as you listen, you will hear that teaching. Because the word speaks continually. God never stops speaking. What he has spoken, he continues to speak. And as we listen and receive this morning, by God's grace, we'll receive what he wants to say to us today. He wants to change us. He wants us to become people of the kingdom. Are you ready for that? Yes. Amen. So this morning we're going to look at the subject of sort and light. This comes after the Beatitudes. Jesus continues his sermon. Matthew 5, 13 to 16. I'll read it first and then we'll break it up. Sort and light. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Also, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Okay, let's introduce the subject. If the Beatitudes describe the essential character of the disciples of Jesus, the sort and light metaphors indicate their influence for good in the world. As we said before, Jesus is changing our character so that he prepares us to be sent out into the world, to influence the world. Christians don't live in a monastery. We don't hide ourselves away. Jesus wants to send us out into the world to have an influence and have an effect in the world. That's why he calls us to him. So the Beatitudes describe our character. And as our character is formed, so we are sent out into the world to have an effect in the world. We are the salt of the earth. Let me read that again. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by <coughs> men. So Jesus affirms, you are the salt of the earth. Not could be. 
should be, will be. He says, you are, present tense. This isn't some future state that he's developing in us. He says, you are the salt of the earth. That's who you are. He affirms it. And in this sense, the salt of the earth means that we are a preservative to the world. The world, the earth, is in a process of decay. It may not seem like it. Everything carries on as it does. Commerce, business, entertainment, <coughs> society carries on. All, everything seems to be carrying on quite well. But actually, the world is in a state of decay. That's what Jesus says. It's like when we read later in the scriptures, when people say, where is the promise of the coming? Jesus is coming again and people say, well, where is it? Everything's carrying on as, as it is. Where is this coming? In the same way as things carry on as they are, we may not notice or be aware that the world is in a state of decay. It's deteriorating gradually. As it removes itself far from God and his principles and his word, the world is in a state of decay. And as Christians, we need to be aware of that. We need to be sensitive to what ha is happening in the world. And we are the sort that needs to be applied and effected to the world to delay, to hinder that decay. In a sense, it can't be stopped. The process has begun and it will continue till Jesus comes. But our purpose is to delay and hinder that process. That is our purpose. That is why God is forming our character so that as we are sent out into the world, we may have an effect and influence in the world to delay that process of decay. And not only are we the salt of the earth, we're also the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do the people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus introduces the second metaphor with a similar affirmation. You are the light of the world. Not could be, should be, will be. You are. Since you've been called into the kingdom, you're already a light of the world. And the interesting thing is that Jesus also says that he is the light of the world. In John's Gospel, he says, I am the light of the world. So how are we 
the light of the world. Is it him? Or is it us? Well, both are true. He is the light of the world, and he's made us to be lights of the world. Because we shine with his light. We only have light because of him. Our light is a reflection of his light. We do not have the light in and of ourselves. Only as we position ourselves can we reflect his light. So as Christians we have to be in the right position. If you've got a mirror and the sun and you want to reflect the light in a particular place, the mirror has got to be in the right position to reflect the light. So as Christians we have to be in the right position, the right place to reflect that light because we reflect his light to the world. We shine like stars in the night sky. As the world becomes darker, so our light shines brighter. It's as we allow our light to shine, Jesus says, that our good works are made manifest. So our good works are manifested, are made plain, are made clear as we allow our light to shine. Is your light shining? Do people see your good works in that light? So, we are the salt of the earth. We are here to hinder and delay the process of decay of the earth. We are also light of the world. We are here to shine with his light, to reflect his light to the world. And as we consider this, there are three lessons that we can learn from this. The sort and light metaphors which Jesus used have much to teach us about our Christian responsibility in the world. Because as Christians we've been given a responsibility, haven't we? As the master who left his servants with the talents, who said, occupy till I come, he had an expectation that they would put their talents to work. And he reprimanded the servant who hid his talent in the ground. He called him wicked. The other two were commended because they made use of the talent. So Jesus also has an expectation that we will fulfil our responsibility that he's given to us to be sought and to be light. Let's look at three lessons that we may learn from this regarding our Christian responsibility in the world. First of all, there is a fundamental difference between Christians and non-Christians, between the church and the world. Sometimes it may not seem so. Sometimes it's difficult to distinguish Christians from non-Christians, the church from the world. Sometimes, you know, you can't see the distinction. 
But there is, and there should be, and it should be apparent, the difference between Christians and non-Christians, between the church and the world. And it's not just a difference, it's a fundamental difference. It's at its basic level. Fundamental means at its basic level. At the basic level, there is a difference between Christians and non-Christians. Not that we're better, we're different. As a Christian, I never say that I'm better than anybody else. But we should be different. Different, not better. In fact, this theme this of difference between the church and the world, between Christians and non-Christians, is the basic theme of the Sermon on the Mount. The sermon is built on the assumption that Christians are different. It takes it for granted. And Jesus issues a call to us as Christians to be different. Since he says we are different, he calls us to be different. He wants us to be who he says that we are. He declares that we're different. And he has that expectation that we will be different. And I'm going to say this, you may agree or you may disagree. But probably the greatest tragedy of the church throughout its long and checkered history has been its constant tendency to conform to the prevailing culture instead of developing a Christian counter-culture. The church through its long history has continually confirmed, sorry, conformed to the world, to the prevailing culture. Instead of the church defining itself as being different with its own principles and its own characteristics, it continually It continually takes on the behaviours, the attitudes, the assumptions, the focus of the world. And that's the tragedy. Because God calls us to be different. To be salt and to be light in the world. And if we're no different to the world, what use are we? Except, as he says to be thrown on the ground and to be trampled underfoot by men, which is what he says about the salt. Once the salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Unless the church is distinct and different to the world, it loses its purpose. It has no purpose. If the church is not different to the world, The church has no purpose. We might as well put our Bibles down, put our seats away, and go out into the world. The church, unless it's distinctive, has no effect on the world. So Jesus is calling us to be different to the world. It says that Jesus has issued us a call to be different. Let's respond to that call. 
and be different. Is God speaking to you? Are you hearing what he's saying to you? He's calling us to come out of the world to be different so that he might send us back into the world to have an effect in the world. So that's our first lesson we can learn. There's a fundamental difference between Christians and non-Christians. Lesson two. We must accept the responsibility which this distinction puts upon us. It's when we understand that we ought to be different, that we are sought, that we are light, and the condition that Jesus puts upon us, that as sought, we must be applied to the world, we must have an effect in the world, to preserve and delay the decay of the world, that as lights we must shine into the world, if we accept and receive that responsibility, then we will have the effect that he wants us to have. And it's a responsibility that we each, each and every one of us has. And Jesus says, he affirms, he says, you are the sort of the earth. You are the light of the world. And each affirmation begins in the Greek sentence with the emphatic pronoun you. He says you are. Not somebody else, not the person sitting next to you, but you are. It's your responsibility. Collectively, yes, it is our responsibility, but each of us has that responsibility. It's as if he says you and you only. If no one else, it's you. You are to be the sort of the earth and the light of the world. And because we accept this responsibility, we mustn't fail in our duty to God and to the world. Because the world is waiting for us. Did you know that? The world is waiting for us to be sought and to be light. The world needs us. There are people desperate for us to go out into the world and have an effect. We mustn't remain seated. We must go out into the world because the world is waiting for us. It needs us. It's good to feel needed, isn't it? It's good to have a purpose. God has called us to a purpose and for a purpose he wants to send us out into the world to have an effect we've been called to serve Jesus says he did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom and as he was so are we we have been called to serve and to give our lives for that purpose we are to be what he says we are we are to be what he's called us to be be who you are 
Be who God has called you to be. Don't try to be like somebody else. You won't succeed. There's only one of you. You're unique. God has a purpose for each one of us. You are called to a purpose and for a purpose. So embrace your purpose. If you try to be or do like somebody else, you won't succeed. Only one of us is necessary. If you try and do what somebody else has been called to do, you'll fail in your purpose. You'll be frustrated. Be who you are. Be who God has called you to be. That's the key to a successful, fulfilling life. Be who God has called you to be. It's the most exhilarating thing to be. To be who God has called me to be. Anything else isn't good enough. Anything else isn't really worth it. Be who you are. Be who God has called you to be. You are light. Sorry, you are sought. And so you must retain your saltiness. And not lose your Christian tang, your Christian taste. Retain your saltiness. Retain your Christian characteristics. Without them, you become ineffective. You are light. Let your light shine. And don't conceal it. No point having a light and having it covered. It has no effect. Don't let your light be concealed in any way, whether by sin or by compromise. Sometimes because of sin, our light doesn't shine because we're conscious of sin in our lives. So we cover ourselves and it prevents our light from shining. Don't allow that. Well, sometimes we don't allow our light to shine because of compromise. You know, we, we know what we ought to do, but we don't do it. We compromise ourselves, and so our light becomes dimmer. The switches turn down a little bit because of compromise. Or it could be because of laziness. We mentioned laziness at our Bible school on Tuesday. We said that Christians should not be lazy. In fact, a lazy Christian is an oxymoron. Do you know what an oxymoron is? It's a phrase or sentence where there are two parts that are incompatible. They don't go together. In other words, lazy Christian, that's incompatible. They don't go together. That's an oxymoron. (coughs) Where you have Christians, you don't have laziness. Where you have laziness, you don't have Christians. And sometimes through laziness, we relax, our light becomes dimmer. There's a verse, I can't think of the reference now, where it, become, it mentions having our zeal for the Lord, not losing our zeal. Retain that zeal, that fervour. Don't become lazy. Let your light shine. Or sometimes our light doesn't shine because of fear. We're afraid. What will they say? 
What will people think? Don't allow people's opinion restrict you. Don't be fearful. If God says to let your light shine, let your light shine. Don't worry about what people think or what people say. If they don't like it, that's too bad. Am I allowed to say that? (laughs) Don't worry about it. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Then you will have the right effect that God wants you to have. So we are accepting our responsibility to be sought and to be light. And the third lesson to learn is that we must see our Christian responsibility as twofold. We've touched on this before. Salt and light have one thing in common. They give and expend themselves. The salt must be shaken and whatever he wants to preserve. The salt in the salt cellar has no effect. It has to be sprinkled. If you want to preserve meat, fish, whatever, you've got to sprinkle the salt on. If you put the salt in the container next to the meat, nothing's going to happen. So we've got to give ourselves and expend ourselves. It takes effort, doesn't it? But that's what we're called to do. But each of these two things is slightly different. The salt is used to delay a process. The light is used to present something. We are, in fact, presenting God's characteristics and God's purpose to the world. So we have a twofold responsibility to have an effect in the world, to change the world, its behaviours, its attitudes, its what it focuses upon. We have an effect in that way when we mix in our communities, in our families, at school, college, our workplaces. Wherever we are, we should have an effect wherever we are. We, are, we should be sprinkled into each community that we are. Think of yourself as salt being sprinkled wherever you go so that you might have an effect. And also, you go as light to shine into the dark places with the light of Christ. That you may reflect his beauty, his glory, his goodness. That wherever you go, people may see his beauty, his goodness reflected in you. The function of salt is to prevent the decay. The function of light is to illuminate the darkness. So Jesus calls his disciples to exert a double influence on the world. It's a positive influence by arrest in its decay and a positive influence by bringing light 
into its darkness. For it's one thing to spread, sorry, for it's one thing to stop the spread of evil, it's another thing to promote the spread of truth and goodness. So it's two parts. We stop, we hinder, we prevent the spread of evil, but we also promote the truth and what is good. We are salt, we are light. So there are three lessons we can learn. There's a fundamental difference between Christians and non-Christians, between the church and the world. And we must accept this responsibility that this distinction puts upon us. And it's a twofold responsibility to be sought and to be light. Let's conclude. Let's sum up. A Christian's character, as described in the Beatitudes, and a Christian's influence, as defined in the salt and light metaphors, are related to one another. Our influence depends upon our character. Good character, a good influence. Bad character, a bad influence. You cannot have a good influence with a bad character. So the character must come first. That's why Jesus spoke about the Beatitudes first. Character is at the basis of all his teaching. He wants to form our character before he can do anything with us. You're not useful to God with a bad character. He has to change who we are before he can send us to do what he wants us to do. Amen? Amen. So character is fundamental to what he's doing in us and through us. Our influence depends upon our character. That's why he called the disciples to be with him before he sent them out. He couldn't send them first. He had to teach them and change them before he sent them out in the world. And so the same with us. He needs to form our character to transform us before he can send us out. So our influence in the world depends upon our character. So the Beatitudes set an extremely high and exacting standard. Well, of course, God always has high and exacting standards. If the Christian life was easy, I don't know if we'd want, really want to be a Christian. I don't like things that are too easy. Um, I don't know if you're the same sort of person. If I'm given something simple to do, it doesn't grip me. I like something I can get my teeth into. Then you feel like you're doing something worthwhile. In my younger days, I used to do lots of sports. I used to like football. Now, if you're in a football match, or I used to play cricket, if the other team aren't very good, is not a very good team, and you can beat them, well, there's no satisfaction in that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you play a football match and you win 10-0, 15-0, well, you know, it, it, it doesn't give you any satisfaction at the end. But if you're playing in a really tough game against a really tough team and you beat them 
You get some satisfaction out of that. Because you overcame the odds. So God's purpose for us always brings something out of us. It's never easy. God never gives us something easy to do. Easy is not worthwhile. Is it? Something easy is never worthwhile. If I can do something without any effort, what's the point? Whatever God gives us to do, we always need his help and his grace to do. But we can do it. He wouldn't give it us to do if we couldn't. So it's very high standards, but God is with us. We have his grace to help us. But they are high standards because the purpose that he sent us to is great. And our purpose, our influence, depends upon our character. Being salt and being light depends upon having the right character. But it's not doom and gloom. I've talked about how difficult it is. But there are incentives that Jesus gives to having a good character and being salt and light in the world. Jesus called us to be righteous. First, this is the way that we ourselves will be blessed. If you look at the Beatitudes, each of those situations, attitudes, behaviour, there's a blessing attached. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. There's a blessing attached to each of these attitudes and behaviour. So first of all, we ourselves are blessed. Secondly, this is the way that we will serve in and to the world. And last, but by no means least, this is the way by which we give God glory. So this is why the Christian life is so desirable. This is why life in the kingdom is such a desirable life to live, a desirable place to be. Life in the kingdom is what God has called us to be. So let's enter into the kingdom. Let's embrace the kingdom. And as we do that, we will be conformed to the character of Christ. That's what God wants to do in and through us. We'll be conformed to his image and to his character. And so, we will bring blessing to ourselves. We will bring salvation to others as we go out and influence and affect the world. And ultimately, we will bring glory to God. Amen. Amen.